Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent officers of the army and cavalry with me. When Sembalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I got up during the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the animal I rode. I went out by night, by the valley gate, past the dragon spring, and to the dung gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down, and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the animal I was riding to continue. So I went up by way of the valley by night and inspected the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest that were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burnt. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. I told them that the hand of God had been gracious upon me and also the words that the king had spoken to me. Then they said, let's start building. So they committed themselves to the common good. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they mocked and ridiculed us, saying, what is this that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven is the one who will give us success. And we, his servants, are going to start building. But you have no share or claim or historic right in Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Laura. I'm grateful that you're here with us this morning. 
I don't know how many of you woke up with the same thought that I did, where I looked out the window and saw the downpour of rain and I try to conjure up some kind of reason why I can't make it today. <laughs> I couldn't think of one, so here I am. And here you are, and for those of you who are online, we are grateful, grateful that you exercised that sense of divine agency and you are here to worship and to think on these words that we've just heard. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we give you thanks that you have given us this single solitary life to live. We give you thanks that you have won our hearts. You have loved us with an everlasting love. And Lord, we are responding daily to love you in turn. Hear the prayers and the praises and the words that we speak in this place today. And Lord, would you come and again open our eyes to see the wonders from your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. And I don't remember how old I was as I was sitting there looking at the boys and the girls coming up for Jill's uh, children's message. I imagine I was somewhere around five or six years old. And I remember my mother holding my hand as we walked the few blocks from where we were living to she was taking me to the to the library we were walking along spanish town road in jamaica heading to the public library and that day she helped me to get my first library card we call her mama mama was a reader she loved books and she bequeathed to her children the love of reading. And that day, my mother and I, we walked out of that public library with a small stack of children's books. For my generation, and for some of you in this room, books were our technology. Books were the device that we planted our face in as we were growing. The thing I remember about libraries is the smell, the smell of library books. I think it's permanently encoded somewhere in my brain, somewhere in my amygdala. And last Thursday evening, Judith and I, for the first time, walked into a library here in this area, library on Little Falls Road and we applied for library cards. And that sweet smell came back to me again on Thursday night, taking me all the way back to Jamaica to my first visit to a library. And so today I continue to love books, I continue to read widely, and I must confess that one of my favorite genre is biography. Biography, the life stories of people. They feed me spiritually, they feed me intellectually, and often when I'm through reading a book, there is something from the life of that person that stays with me, that weaves its way into my thinking and my acting. And I will admit that's one of the reasons why I've enjoyed reading books like Nehemiah, his use of that personal pronoun, 
It just enlivens the whole story. And from this book, there are some magnificent themes that I want you to consider this morning. In fact, I haven't traveled everywhere in the world. I've traveled to a few places. And one of the things I notice when I go to those places, it's hard to find a library. What a gift we have in this country. What a gift we have in this church. Beautiful library that you find on the second floor. An opportunity to lose ourselves in, in ideas and themes that enrich our lives and grow our hearts. These themes that I want to share from you, share with you, I call them, I call them realities or reality. And there are these realities in the book of Nehemiah that I believe will show us how to engage with the world, with our past, with our present, and with the future. Let me quickly share them with you before I take my seat. Somebody came to you and you're living in a part of the world where it's impossible to get a, a, a Bible with all 66 books, but this person gave you the book of Nehemiah. You are curious about Christianity. You have given up on the values of the culture that you've been living in, and now you're trying to figure out, are there some other ways to think? Are there some other realities around which I can build my life? If you only had the book of Nehemiah, it's possible that these are some of the realities that you would find. One of them is a big one. It's the most important one, and it's the reality of God. Nehemiah refers to God in some very significant ways. He depicts God as this God who is transcendent. Notice again, if you read chapter 1, what he says in verse 5, he refers to God as the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. In Nehemiah, God is transcendent. God is above and beyond creation. God is the great God. As opposed to one of the ideas, one of the religious groups in our culture, and I do not say this with any disrespect, it's just a way of comparing ways in which God is viewed. In Hinduism, God is seen as almost as an illusion, a spiritual expression. There is this pantheistic view of God in Hinduism that God and creation are the same, that God is in the world and the world is God, that somehow then this God is domesticated, this God is local. On the other hand, in reading Nehemiah, even in the confession that we uttered this morning, the affirmation, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, that this God creates, and yet this God is distinct from what God creates, that this God owns everything. It's the God of heaven who is over earth, who doesn't really ask our opinion, who, doesn't, who dwells in unapproachable light, God's ways is different from our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God exists before time. God doesn't need us in order to be God. God is transcendent the way God is depicted in Nehemiah. 
And I think of that great hymn that really captures it. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eyes of sinful man thy glory may not see, only the exclusivity of God, only thou art holy. There is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. And the song goes on extolling the majesty and the glory of Almighty God. Nehemiah depicts God as transcendent, high and lifted up. But interestingly enough, he helps us all to see that God is near, that God is imminent. And Nehemiah speaks of God as being very active in his life and in the life of Israel. And you'll see that as you read through chapter 2, and in several places, especially in chapter 2, he talks about the gracious hand of my God upon me. And there it is. The reality that God is high and lifted up, God is transcendent, and yet God has come near to us. God's hand is upon us. Nehemiah helps us to see that, that we don't live in a universe of luck or fate or chance. Nehemiah sees this God who is near, this God who is involved. And I must remind you this morning that Nehemiah was a cupbearer that he was intimately connected to the king. He had the privilege and the access and the ear of the king. He was living large, as we would say today. But Nehemiah was willing to leave all of that, leave that region of the world that we now call Iran, and travel hundreds of miles on horseback to his native land of Judah. Some estimate that this trip took upwards of four or five months for him to make that dangerous trip. And I say that because Nehemiah foreshadows for us something of what Jesus did. The scriptures depict Jesus in a much greater way that he enjoyed equality with God, and yet God, Jesus was willing to set aside that equality with God. He humbled himself, and he became a servant. Nehemiah calls himself a servant also. But Jesus, in a much greater way than Nehemiah, left his throne in glory, and he became one of us, and he died on the cross for us. And though he was rich, he willingly became poor, laid aside his divinity, and assumed our humanity so as to bring us to God. Nehemiah helps us to see the greatness, the transcendence of God, and the nearness of God. And I must say this to you this morning, and I don't say this triumphalistically, but no other religion offers up this intimate possibility that this holy, transcendent God who is creator of all things seen and unseen also says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You are mine. That's one of the realities that you get if you only had to read Nehemiah. But there's a second reality, and it's the reality of what I call resistance 
or the reality of chaos and disorder. Because as much as Nehemiah willingly gave up his position because of a greater need to bring order out of the chaos of his world, not everyone was excited to see him. And if you listen closely in the reading, there were these three characters who were determined that they would do everything in their power to resist and to create added chaos so as to prevent the restoration and the renewal of the people of God. What is it that caused this chaos? Today we would say that it is sin. But if you only had Nehemiah to read, you would look at his prayer in chapter 1 and verse 7, and you clearly get an inkling that something is off base. Notice what he says, we have offended you. And he's not referring to the king. He's referring to this God of heaven. We have offended you, failing to keep the commandments. Imagine a bullseye. That's another way of thinking about sin. We have missed the mark is what he's saying. We have disobeyed your commandments, and they are so clear. We have disobeyed your statutes. We have disobeyed the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. And that, my friends, explains the chaos and the disorder that we see in Israel, why they're not in the land, why they're living in, in exile, and why there is such chaos and disorder around them. But if you wanted to go back even further and read the beginning of the book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and I urge you to do that, there you will find the genesis, the source, and the reason why our world, our lives, are often mired in chaos and disorder. Because even in the book of Genesis, you see this man and this woman, they are free agents. They have the ability to choose. And what do they do? They choose the creation over the creator. They thirsted for knowledge. They thirsted of wanting to be like God. And in the process, they suffered death. They suffered ruin. They suffered the loss of life. What Adam and Eve, what Nehemiah is showing us is that whenever we turn from the Creator, whenever our love and our desires for God become so distorted that we turn from the Creator and we turn to the creation and we worship creation, then that's when our lives then are plunged into chaos and disorder. That's what we see around us. People say, I am free to love who I want to love. I am free to worship whomever I want to worship. I am free to express my life in any way that I want to. And as much of that seems like a wonderful thing to say, behind all of that is this dark cloud of chaos and ruin that comes upon our lives. Nehemiah helps us to understand the reality of the world that you and I live in, and in many ways, the world that we help to contribute some of the chaos. But there's another reality, the reality of prayer. Because in a world that is fraught with chaos, a world that is fraught with, with opposition, with with violence, with resistance, with the abuse of power, 
with disordered love where we're loving the wrong things and going after the wrong values, Nehemiah gives us an example of how we can use prayer both as a means of access and intimacy with God, but also as a weapon with which to resist the values, the lies, the disorder that persist in our world. And the power that Nehemiah exemplifies for us is the power of prayer. Let's remember again that Nehemiah is the story of a humble man. He's a humble man called by God to face these incredible circumstances. And how did he do it? As we heard last week in in Pastor Lisa's sermon, a very helpful sermon, Nehemiah shows us how to wed prayer with planning. And many of us haven't figured that out yet. We despise prayer because we, suggest, we, we believe that it's too pietistic. It doesn't quite compute with the complexities of this world. And so we are action-oriented. We want to get it done. And Nehemiah helps us understand that, no, prayer and planning are not enemies of each other. In fact, they complement each other. And we see it very clearly in chapter 2. Nehemiah had been praying for some time. God placed in his heart the way forward, and then he is acting. He doesn't tell anyone about it. He gets on his horse at midnight, and he rides out into the ruined city and he surveys what's going on. And it's only after viewing the, da the, the damage and the disorder and the chaos that he comes back the next day and he calls his people together and he says to them, do you see the trouble that we're in? How much disgrace has come upon us because the walls and the gates have been destroyed. He is able to speak like that not because he's this uber executive, but because he's a man of prayer. He is not overcome by the realities of this order. Essentially, he's saying to us that God is greater still. And he comes to the people. And when he's finished sharing his heart with the people, the people said, yes, we're ready. We're committed to the common good. This man who in our eyes, in the eyes of that mighty Persian empire, would have seemed like a small, ins insignificant, powerless man, is actually an agent of God, a subversive agent of God, if you will, who knows how to pray, who knows how to plan, and to boldly act in the face of the enemies and the chaos of his day. It's interesting that on a morning like this, I hear Peter and I hear Lisa talking about small groups and community because that is the other reality that Nehemiah presents to us, brothers and sisters. I believe that Nehemiah's principal mission was not just to build walls and gates. Anyone can do that. Hire a contractor. It wasn't that. His ultimate mission was to be this channel through which God would work to restore people back to a covenant that their forefathers had established. Nehemiah is all about, along with Ezra, is all about 
the reality of community. And I would offer to you this morning that this man would fall flat on his face without the presence and the support of that community. When God called Moses, what did Moses do? He went to the people and told them that God wants to bring us together so we can go three days into the wilderness to do what? To worship God. That's what Nehemiah is all about. And he would not be successful without them. Without, in the Old Testament, it's called the kahal, the assembly. In the New Testament, it's called the ecclesia, what we call the church. And they're not talking about a building. They're talking about the people of God, the community of God's people. And without that community, we're lost. And we have some lost sheep here at National. And if you know them, tell them to come home. Tell them to come back to community. Because as we stay isolated, as we stay weak, we're going to be defeated. We're going to be overwhelmed by all the chaos that's in this world. And this reality of community is what anchors us. And so when Almighty God calls us, he never calls us alone. He calls us to belong. He calls us to belong to a community. And yesterday... I had the privilege of sitting in a, in a, in a meeting, this, this pathway to membership gathering of some wonderful, wonderful people who have heard the call not to join this, but to join this, to join you, to become part of this community. God calls us to community because it's in the community that we get to see this rich diversity of gifts being displayed. It is in community that we know ourselves in a better way. And I'm a better person today because for all these years, God planted me in a community of like-minded believers who will speak into my life. And I can speak into their life. And when you're not in a community, you're in an echo chamber. And you're hearing your voice. And you're holding up that mirror. And you're saying, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the greatest? Who's the fairest? And you're going to lie to yourself and say, I'm not that bad, I'm okay. And that's what happens to us when we live isolated from each other. We tell lies to ourselves, and it is in community, in fellowship, in belonging, that we hear the truth. We're not all that good, but there is one who is good. It is in community that we're reminded of the values of the kingdom of God. And I need to tell you, brothers and sisters, that we no longer live in Christendom. Please hear me on this. We're no longer the darling of our secular culture. They're not beating down the doors to come to national anymore. In the eyes of many people, we, they're blind to this place. And the values that this world espouses is so different from the values and the realities that we're reading here. How do you stay rooted? How do you stay grounded? How do you remain distinct from the lies of our culture? It's by embracing the reality 
of community. And friends, this is the gift. And I think it's maybe one of the only gifts that we have right now that we can offer to our skeptical, lonely, anxious, disordered world where meaning is not mean, there's been this loss of meaning, meaning. We have this to offer. And I need you, we need you now more than ever to embrace this reality that we are this outpost of the kingdom of God. We are this, this community that bears the light and the love of Jesus Christ to a very dark and disordered world. And that's what Nehemiah was all about. And when he spoke to them, the community reacted and they said, we're in. We are in. Count me in. We are ready. And the, the NRSV said they committed themselves to the common good. I love that. But the challenge we're facing today is that these realities now sound old-fashioned. The challenge we're facing today is that many of us are comfortable being sort of in church, checking the box, but we're not. As I told the folks in the, in the, in the first service, if you can just imagine this massive circle and so many, not just as nationals, so many of us, we live on the periphery of that circle. And we don't really know anyone. And I've heard people say to me, yeah, I come to national, but I don't really know anyone. We're on the periphery. We're here. Maybe it's because of the choir, the lovely choir or the music, but you're on the periphery. And what I'm asking you to do, if we're going to embrace these realities of this transcendent God who has come near to us, if we're going to embrace the reality that we live in a very, very disordered world, but it's a world in which God still inhabits by his grace through us, if we're going to embrace the reality of the power of prayer and the power of community, we've got to leave the periphery and come deeper toward the center. And one of the ways we've heard it already this morning it's to take our busy, hectic lives that are being drained. And I know what that feels like, to be living life with the needle on E. And you're just barely getting there. And God is saying to you, there's a, there's a different way. If you would just enter my reality, if you would enter, just come home to me. Just give it all up to me. Let the realities of Jesus just change everything about who you are and how you see yourself and how you live. And you will watch that needle going from E to full and overflowing. This is serious. It's about the kingdom of God in this world. We are not building walls. We're not here to prop up a facility. We're here to build a people. And I urge you, brothers and sisters, more now more than ever, we need you come to the center. One way, what's in the center? It's being in a small group. Can't do a small group? Commit to some Bible group. The days of biblical ignorance, they have to be over, friends. Because how are we going to embrace the reality? Because if the only book we have 
is Nehemiah, and we're not even reading that. How are we going to face the onslaught and the challenges of our world? We need these realities to buttress us. I pray that you will leave the periphery and you will come to the center where all these realities and more are found. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's people say, would you pray with me? Oh God, you are the way, the truth, and the life. You uphold this universe by your divine power. We pray now that we would, by your grace, cease the worship of your creation and worship you with all that we are and all that we have and to love you. Lord, help us to embrace the reality of your kingdom come, that you're active in this world. Help us to see through the lies and the cloud and the disorder as we root ourselves in scripture and in community. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.